When founding a company, especially in the space of the aerospace or space or industries, which might be difficult to uh, penetrate, which have a particular setup and require particular knowledge, then I would encourage people or companies trying to operate in this uh, sense to create uh, partnerships very fast, very early, because uh, this is how the industry overall operates. Uh, there is only rare uh, examples when a single company would become a single uh, provider of everything to everyone. It is always through relationship building, through partnerships with uh, experienced and most importantly, more experienced uh, partners so that you don't uh, do the same mistake twice or that you don't burn all of your cash actually uh, going nowhere because it's difficult to get in there. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting edge technology, startup unicorns and connections to the world. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from the Asian Armature YouTube channel. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here today with Yurai, co-founder, and Ashley, head of APAC for 3IPK. Welcome to the show. Thank you. For Thank us. you. Thank you for having us. So you guys are in a really interesting niche or space, I guess. Can you guys explain to me what you guys are doing? Sure. 3IPK, we are a startup originating uh, from Slovakia in Europe. We currently base so in Slovakia as well as uh, we have office in France and we're setting up uh, one here in uh, Taipei, in uh, Taiwan for our Asia-Pacific operations. What we do is that uh, we're a company that develops and operates uh, software products which are enabled or based on the technology of blockchain. And this for the purpose of being able to guarantee authenticity, integrity, and traceability of uh, data in a highly regulated environment, such as the aerospace industry, aviation, space, or defense industries. For example, traceability and authenticity of data are important. You can imagine when you fly an aircraft, like I did to come here uh, to Taipei, aircraft are very safe. And while they are very complex products and they are not manufactured by uh, only one company. They are not manufactured by Boeing or by Airbus only, but 70 to 80% of the value of the aircraft comes from the supply chain. And in order for the aircraft to be safe, it is related to the traceability and exchange of data across these many, many parties of the global supply chain. And in order for the data to be able to be used for so-called airworthiness, so the safety of the aircraft, they have to be fully traceable and you have to ensure that the data as they travel through the supply chain remain authentic. So to guarantee their integrity. So this is an example in what we do uh, for aviation and using the same uh, technological approach. So uh, software based on the technology of blockchain. We have another product that we operate for space industry and in particular to use our technology to prevent deep faking of uh, satellite imagery of the Earth observation uh, data. Why is this important? You can imagine, uh, for example, in intelligence and defense, uh, it is important uh, to make sure that what your satellite is sending on ground and what data you are processing on ground, that they are authentic, that some Hostile party have not modified them, for example. But also in the civilian uh, sector today, uh, the Earth observation uh, space, or even you could say new space segment, is growing very fast. Why? Because the satellite imagery is used, for example, to gather data related to the combat of the climate crisis, ESG compliance, etc. And you can imagine that in the future, when a satellite detects that someone is emitting more CO2 
then he's allowed to, and this data is supposed to be used as an evidence to that. You need to make sure the first reaction is to question the data. Ah, oh, no, it's not from the satellite. Ah, oh, no, no, it's not my factory, you know. And this is the technology which allows to say, no, this is really the authentic image and it shows what you see in the picture. It's kind of a really um, interesting kind of topic. Talk about kind of like counterfeit products and counterfeit issues in the supply chain. How serious of a problem is it? And like how much concern should other companies have with regards to items slipping into their supply chain? I take the example of the aviation industry, right? Because that's the closest to uh, what we do. Again, there is uh, no reason uh, for a major concern generally because we experience that the aircraft are uh, safe, but they are safe because there is a huge uh, system of uh, verification, checking, etc., etc., being put in place to detect any potential issues related even to uh, traceability of uh, data. So one of the values that we propose is that you can reduce this overhead cost by using the technology of blockchain in the setup that we have. But I will take a concrete example. In Europe, in uh, September or October uh, this year, there was uh, quite a big uh, scandal which was related to the fact that some of the engines on some of the uh, aircraft were flying non-certified equipment. And how it was uh, non-certified was because one of the providers of the component repair simply has produced uh, falsified documents in order you know, to deliver the uh, repaired component more quickly uh, to the aircraft or something like that. And therefore, it cut the corners, right, and produced really falsified information. This is exactly the use case for our solutions. This is something that is completely preventable. Uh, by this kind of uh, solution. So you can see that today, even though you put some fences, barriers and protections and you invest a lot in the traceability of data to make the aircraft safe, there are still uh, some areas for improvement. And we believe this kind of technology actually uh, contributes to that. So that's a very concrete example and very recent of what happened in Europe. Oh, wow. I didn't know that happened. How does your solution work? Maybe in a very kind of simple for audiences, how would that experience be like and what is the benefits and how does it perform what it is? One can imagine it the way we operate our uh, technology. So first of all, just to shed a bit of uh, light, uh, when you say uh, blockchain, sure, also in your uh, podcast, uh, you, you must have a lot of people from the fintech industry. Uh, you think of uh, Bitcoin, that's usually the first thing, Yes. then cryptocurrency uh, and things like that. So we don't do anything of that. We just utilize the properties of the technology of blockchain, which are for us, the two of them are important. Immutability of data, whatever you write in, you cannot technically modify and the traceability of data because of the way that are structured as a chain of blocks. So we take advantage of these two properties of the technology of blockchain. And what we do is that you can imagine that an example, you generate a file on your computer, it could be a test report related to an aircraft component, for example. What we do is that on uh, basically on your computer, using uh, particular cryptographic functions, we generate a so-called cryptographic hash. It's a kind of a fingerprint of the data. So it's a long string of letters and numbers which corresponds one-to-one -to, -one to your data. And we store this representation of your data in blockchain to make it immutable, to make it unchangeable. And then through a particular method of our proprietary software, we allow verification of the authenticity of that file if you send it to your uh, colleagues, etc., against this immutable, uh, unchangeable uh, fingerprint. And we do that not only uh, out of the data themselves, but also out of the process applied on top of the data. So what we effectively do is that we utilize the technology of blockchain 
to store a digital mirror, a digital image of data and the process it went through or events that occurred on top of the data. So that when you are in the possession of a given file, which claims I am this file, I am this test report, you can independently verify through our solution that it is indeed what it is. It has not been modified and it went through certain process. So all of the members, for example, the test report goes through this regulator or this company or this office, they all need to have your software as well to, to at least mark that they were participating in it. So in order to, um, when you say they need to have it, they need to have access to it. It is fairly easy. You can uh, get access to our software through a web-based interface. But mostly, uh, in, in most of the occasions, this software is integrated with existing uh, data management platforms so that all these things happen automatically without the involvement of human labor. But yes, you could imagine in the most simple case that you receive a file, you do a drag and drop into uh, the web browser. We confirm to you, yeah, this is this file and uh, these are the related events that occurred on top of that, for example, capturing of approvals. And you can, again, through our web interface, or usually this would occur in your uh, workflow management system. Uh, you click, uh, yes, uh, myself, John, I uh, approve that this is the data I have reviewed and they are the correct data. And we capture this as an event into the blockchain database and it will be available for inspection. One, this file is delivered, for example, to your automate uh, customer for automatic uh, verification of process compliance and therefore contributing at the end to the uh, certification and finally airworthiness and continuous airworthiness of the aircraft. And then, so how did this, you and your co-founder started this company and how did you end up coming to Asia? Like, how did you guys get started? I'm an aerospace engineer and uh, I have uh, worked actually for uh, fairly many years for Airbus commercial aircraft, as well as early on for Airbus defense and space. And actually during my experience with this great company, uh, by the way, producing great uh, products, I could experience firsthand, one could say difficulties, but let's say challenges and the cost that are associated to management of these very deep and very wide supply chains. And very practical example is that as you receive the data for a system for which I was, for example, responsible for, is you receive the data, how do you really establish whether the data you receive from tier minus five supplier from the other side of the planet that were generated six months ago, how are you sure that data have really not been modified at all on the way? There are multiple ways to do that. You deploy uh, your people in all of those supplier organizations. You have a very tight oversight, very tight control of the supplier, etc. So you can uh, achieve that uh, even today, but at substantial cost. And this is a cost of non-quality, basically. It's a cost which is related to the fact that you operate in a distributed supply chain environment. Just because you do that, you have additional costs. You have transaction. It's called, there is a theory related to that for which uh, someone also got the Nobel uh, Prize for establishing the so-called transactional cost economics. As soon as you have economic interfaces between parties, there are inherent costs which are generated which are generated by the fact that these parties cannot fully trust each other. And our argument is that if you use technologically enabled trust, which blockchain is very typically thought of as a technology of trust, you decrease this transactional gap and therefore you reduce the transactional costs. And therefore, you decrease the cost of non-quality related to the fact because the fact that you manage the supply chain does not contribute in any way to the build of the aircraft at the end. It's an additional cost. And reducing this kind of cost, even just by a few percent, means uh, saving billions, actually, at the size of the programs you have. So this idea of uh, utilizing blockchain to reduce these costs and at the same time contribute to the safety culture, to the safety and airworthiness of the uh, aircraft, 
and uh, ultimately also utilizing, for example, in space industry to prevent deepfakes. This was at the, at the origin of co-founding the, uh, the 3IPK. And then obviously uh, we started in Europe. We are, we are a European company, uh, but uh, Asia and Taiwan in particular, uh, Taiwan operates a very sophisticated uh, economy related to uh, technology, etc. So that was kind of a natural uh, step for us. And uh, here my colleague Ashley uh, is the leader of the APEC regions. To add, we've uh, been operating in Taiwan for a couple of years now, and we found a couple of things, of course, beyond the fact that Taiwan's technology prowess is very strong. We have been uh, engaging in the so-called relationship building between Taiwan and the CEE region, Central and Eastern European region, specifically countries, the four countries that are at the top priority for Taiwan are Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland, and Lithuania. So we have been very lucky to be able to maneuver this strong building of ties and get a couple of really interesting opportunities in the space. And we've been, of course, very blessed with the warm welcome of our company, of our technology and our thoughts on how we can secure data and how we can bring you know, data integrity to, to the market. That's basically how we started. And uh, we began engaging with Taiwan's, initially with Taiwan's, what was called at the time NSPO, National Space Organization. And now they've rebranded to TASA, which is a fantastic move. They are looking to essentially commercialize, commercialize space, follow some of the big players like SpaceX and so on. And uh, we've been collaborating with them for a couple of years. And beyond that, we're looking to get into both the space as well as the aviation market of Taiwan. And we've had a lot of support from different organizations from ITRI to SMEA and, and beyond. What's been the experience of bringing your business over to Taiwan? How large is your office right now? So we are in the process of expanding, so it's relatively small. We actually had a discussion very recently on this very topic. It's We find that generally speaking, Taiwan, especially the government, has been incredibly warm, welcoming, opened the door. But I think at the industry level, it's a little bit of a challenge. I think it's, um, you know, for, let's say, small startups or scale-ups that want to enter the Taiwan market. I think collaboration is sometimes a little bit of a challenge with local companies. But I think also at the same time, I believe this is drastically changing with the visibility and entering of more and more companies into the Taiwan market. You know, these collaboration opportunities are becoming more and more prevalent, more so than just a couple of years ago. So like these companies are kind of like older Taiwanese tech companies, right? Yeah. So, you know, for example, organizations with, let's say, deep and wide supply chains would be best suited for our technology, right? So the more tiers there are, uh, the more better. For example, if we're looking at an OEM that is manufacturing something, of course, our bread and butter is aviation and space, but theoretically, our technology can be applied to semiconductor industry or, or anything else that exactly is, has a deep and wide supply chain and is highly regulated. So these two are the key elements. So yes, in Taiwan, generally, those kind of organizations are a little bit more old school. They're not uh, used to maybe looking at uh, innovation in a way. It's mostly the bottom line is what's being chased. But absolutely, this is uh, something that is uh, is changing. And we visibly see that all the way to the OEM, like an organization like TASA that is actively rebranding and looking to expanded supply chain. So that's how we fit in. We are essentially helping them with their uh, supply chain visibility as they are bringing more and more suppliers from all over the world, which is not something that they were doing again. 
just a couple of years ago. So uh, they need traceability, they need visibility and integrity of the data that they receive from their suppliers. And this is the technology that we provide to them. So absolutely, it's a reason why I'm, I continue to kind of um, push forward is I see this kind of change and I truly believe that we are at a good position to enter the market. Do you feel like there's any kind of value statements or value points that you make that like these Taiwanese companies kind of go like, wow, yeah, we get it. Or, like, what do they really kind of react to just based on like maybe anecdotal or just experiences? Again, you know, I'm I'm a guest in your fantastic country, so uh, I can only just give my my two cents. But traditionally, from my understanding, Taiwan has purely focused on export, and that's that. So we are exporting our products, we have foreign buyers, and we don't do anything else, right? But Taiwan is now going through this kind of change. For example, you know, you're looking to become a bilingual country by 2035, 2030. So these kind of uh, these elements are bringing more instead of one way outbound kind of focus to a more collaborative approach. And that goes into business as well. That goes into kind of so, you know, we, we collaborated, for example, very recently with uh, with a Taiwanese company to apply for a um, government, uh, a European call. So these are kind of funded by the European Union. They publish some kind of requirement for some kind of technology that they would like to to have, and then they pay for it in the form of a grant. So it's very interesting that even the European Union is seeing Taiwan more. So Horizon, which is the biggest platform for these kind of calls, these kind of grants, they sent a delegation to Taiwan just last year to promote, you know, of course, Taiwan is not part of Europe, but they can for sure partner up with European companies as subcontractors to create some kind of innovation. So we see that both ways. I believe at the very beginning, at least until very recently, it was more government to government level where Taiwanese government was like, you know, doing kind of delegation visits back and forth. Uh, Europe was sending people over. But now I can see the industry also kind of warming up slowly and, and getting more and more involved open to doing consortiums, open to doing collaborative uh, kind of activities, which maybe was a little bit of a challenge just a couple of years ago for them. So again, that's why I believe that for us, at least, the timing is great. And what we are also aiming to do is make Taiwan uh, the regional hub and focus on specific countries that we can provide value to, specifically Japan, South Korea, some Southeast Asian countries with advanced kind of uh, technology, but also, let's say, with uh, requirements for data integrity with countries, let's say, back in the aviation space with a little bit less airworthiness. And Taiwan fits very nicely into this discussion because it has this so-called southbound policy where it wants to focus on bringing value down the chain into the Southeast Asian sphere. And I think, uh, again, we've had quite a lot of discussions around this topic. And I see that Taiwan is continuously setting up events in with Vietnam, with Thailand, with, uh, with the Philippines, exchanging and actually putting a lot of investment as well. So there's a lot of VCs that are looking into kind of investing in startups in Indonesia, for example. And we believe, again, having our headquarters in Taiwan would give us a good position and having local talent that can target these markets can we will be very well suited to do so. Yeah, I think it's a kind of a big shift for Taiwan right now in the midst. Um switching back to kind of like the product and you mentioned the satellite product earlier. How different was it and how challenging was it to kind of adapt something that was for essentially I guess a physical product I guess to something that's more like data, right? Like what changes did the product have to be made to kind of accommodate that? 
Yeah, the two use cases, one related to the supply chain and the one related to the Earth, satellite Earth observation data, they seem at the first side, as you say, quite uh, different. They are from different industries. However, at the end of the day, the only thing our platform handles is data, actually, right? In the first case, it is data related to physical products, to aircraft components, spacecraft components, things like that. But it's just the data at the end of the day, right, that flow. And on the Earth observation case, again, this is just the data that flows from the satellite to the ground station, is processed in various steps on the ground station, and so we are capturing that uh, process. So from our perspective, it is uh, actually, and this is one of the advantages uh, of the platform that we have developed. There's really a platform approach uh, to be able to provide authenticity and traceability to any kind of data and any kind of process applied on uh, top of the data. So from this perspective, it is not very different from technological point of view. It is different, obviously, uh, from, for example, the sales perspective, from the business development perspective, because it's a bit different business models, right? In the first one, you, we sell licenses to the various users that utilize our blockchain-based service uh, for traceability of uh, data in the supply chain. And in this case, it is really linked to the generation of the images uh, themselves and their uh, their processing. So the uh, differences are mainly these, but it, technically it is very uh, similar use case. And uh, of course, especially for the second one on the satellite imagery, etc., uh, we believe a lot in, in partnerships. So uh, in Europe, we have for this uh, product, we develop it together in a strategic collaboration with one of the leaders of the European space industry, a company called Thales Alenia Space, a manufacturer of satellites, uh, ground segments, and all the things that go around the space business. And this was exactly the reason to be able to develop something that really delivers a real uh, value to the Earth observation uh, mar market, but also to be able to access the market in collaboration between a corporate and a startup. So we were accommodated by Thales Alenia Space in uh, their program for collaboration with uh, startups called Space Business Catalyst in uh, Toulouse in uh, France, where we spent quite some time working on this product and other opportunities of utilizing our technology in the space industry. So they came to you with the suggestion for this idea, right? It's actually something that we developed uh, kind of together because we were, as we were working on the supply chain solutions for space industry, and we took part in multiple acceleration programs, including, for example, the Seraphim's Accelerator in London and the US. This topic came quite often. Could it be used for satellite imagery? Because that's a real problem. But yes, the collaboration with Thales uh, came when we were working on our supply chain solution and uh, people from the Department of Earth Observation actually approached us, hey, could this be somehow? adapted and uh, used for earth observation and uh, so we worked on that a little bit we found that yes it can be adapted so we started the strategy collaboration and we have recently also published the information on securing the first ever contract from the european space agency uh, exactly on this topic on blockchain based traceability of earth observation data uh, that we uh, started to work on together with Thales in the last quarter of this year. Do you see other applications kind of similar to where you're trying to secure data within the aerospace industry that you can see possible expansion into? Various other topics when it comes to secured and reliable sharing of data. So you can imagine, uh, again, this is something applicable very well in, uh, in security industry, intelligence, etc. when you have some very interesting information that you need to share, for example, with your allies, again, during the transfer and especially during the utilization of the sensitive data that you have received. How do you handle the possible vectors of attack with respect to modification of the data by a hostile or non-hostile party? 
right? Uh, how are you sure that, uh, I don't know, you share a satellite image uh, with your ally? How do you know, don't know that your potentially hostile party did not modify the data once you have it stored uh, on your servers or uh, that this data leaves uh, the uh, some database and is used later on? You have many examples today uh, of uh, lots of fake, in this case, it's satellite imagery spread uh, by, uh, let's say, Russian-friendly accounts on social media that make false claims about what the satellite is showing on the ground while the image was clearly modified and it can be evidence. Th those are the topics. Uh, you transfer sensitive data, there is an interest of potential hostile party uh, to modify during the transfer or after. How do you make like harden the technology against interference from like maybe like a data breach on one particular end? Like how do you make sure that it's solid from as many vectors as possible? In order to guarantee this integrity and traceability of data, we do not handle the data themselves. They remain where they are. So we are able to guarantee this authenticity and traceability without even knowing what is the content of the data. We do not know whether we are tracing a Mickey Mouse movie or whether it's a latest uh, information from spy satellite on an urgent matter, let's say. For us, it, this does not matter. Those are all just zeros and ones, basically digital data. And uh, through the technology stack uh, that we provide, this is one of the key elements that we allow to do this without ever handling the data on our platform, through our cloud or anything like that. So did you consult with experts or technology or security players to kind of learn more ways to how to keep that data, like you said, which you don't touch, but like how to make sure that other interferences can happen, correct? Absolutely. So on this, especially on the delivery of this kind of products, uh, we partnered a lot. And actually the company with which we partnered, uh, Thales Group, uh, that's uh, one of the reference companies when it comes to cybersecurity. Their solutions are used in all aspects of uh, defense and sensitive uh, industries, including uh, probably when you utilize your uh, bank card and things like that, the technology is used in there. So it is through these partnerships that we gain uh, let's say, the experience that we would have otherwise have to learn the hard way on the cybersecurity approach. But again, on the cybersecurity uh, questions and elements, you have to uh, monitor and evolve your technology continuously because the threats are evolving continuously and in a very, very uh, creative way, you could say. So there is this is never a task which will never be accomplished. Actually, have you seen any concerns from like Taiwanese customers about how that technology works? Have you had any trouble explaining, for instance, blockchain to them or other technologies that you might do and like able to get around these challenges? Absolutely. So there's two elements to this. First off, the blockchain technology itself. So as uh, was mentioned, the common idea of what blockchain is revolves around financial services, fintech or cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and so on. And then there is the element of data storage. So when it comes to, again, highly regulated environments, nobody wants their data sitting on somebody else's servers or even on a blockchain. So as Uri mentioned, what we do, of course, is we don't store the data anywhere. We don't take the data away from its source. We are only touching cryptographic hashes, which are meaningless on their own. So it's just a string of numbers. So that's one element. So that requires a lot of education, a lot of explanation. And sometimes it's a little bit confusing, not just for Taiwanese, but for anybody. And then the other element, again, not necessarily it's uh, an issue in Taiwan, but everywhere we see the same thing. When you talk blockchain, the immediate reaction is, oh, cryptocurrencies, uh, Bitcoin, and so on. Usually the way I at least do it is I take the example of cryptocurrencies, the fact that uh, 
you are in a decentralized manner able to create value out of a digital asset and apply that to value in securing data and the security of data, which is very, very important in a decentralized manner. Now we can, you know, go a little deeper and talk about kind of private chains, public chains and so on. But the idea is that you don't have any central authority saying that this mirror or this digital hash of this data is true or not true. And the way that we position this technology that is very unique and hasn't really been done before is we are able to provide the value of decentralization without having to put that on the data itself. So we are able to independently prove anything that is being said in, in a decentralized manner without touching the data at its source. And that brings a lot of value when we're talking in the aviation industry or defense and all those industries that, you know, the ownership is very, very important. So I wouldn't say that necessarily it's a Taiwan kind of uh, issue. It's a thing that we experience anywhere we go in the world. But again, that is changing. So enterprise uh, blockchain, blockchain as a service, these type of topics are becoming more and more prevalent, especially in the world of AI. Now we have AI and we're talking about things like, you know, automated decision making and, you know, things like aviation or UAVs and you know, so if there's a drone that is making a decision to take a photograph of something or to do some kind of action, we need to also prove that that decision that was made autonomously happened in a way that it happened, even if it was a mistake. So by using blockchain, for example, that is one way to record and undeniably prove whatever decision that AI, for example, now is going to be making. So now that is a new world where uh, we propose the usage of blockchain is very, very important. Yeah, on, on this one, I will really build it. This is, you have touched really the uh, very interesting point of utilization and the utility of blockchain technology in traceability of the decisions which are made by machines, AI, uh, etc. What are the inputs? What is the status of the machine learning code at the moment of taking decision? And to what output does this lead? Today, uh, you have lots of uh, these uh, applications when you have algorithms which evaluate, for example, risk of uh, someone at the, working at the airport. Is he a potential threat or not? And uh, there are uh, now uh, models or there are solutions which try based on the gathering of the data from social media, of your digital footprint, of the behavior uh, the person might have, for example, when checking in at the airport, evaluating what is the th risk threat of this person that is maybe a terrorist. Right. This is the kind of stuff. However, this here you have a lot of risk, like based on what data does the algorithm make the decision? What is the status of the code uh, at the moment uh, of taking the uh, the decision? You have made similar things when, for example, in aviation, uh, you may have today uh, there are or tomorrow, uh, the warfare, air warfare of tomorrow is about swarming multiple assets. Uh, you have a fighter jet flying with many UAVs, which have various capabilities. And the decision making is done by AI models on, on each of those elements. Uh, if you are able to influence uh, the decision making of the AI code, uh, that you do not fire the missile on the target, but you fire it on the hospital, who is responsible for that based on which data it was done? This kind of forensic traceability of data can be very well achieved uh, through technology of blockchain. And here we have uh, fully moved out of uh, human-controlled uh, systems. Kind of interesting because a lot of these are like deterministic algorithms, right? Like they kind of have, you don't know what can come out, right? 
Is it possible to use your technology or any technology really to kind of trace the data as it goes through a model or find somehow illuminate what's happening within a model? Or is that maybe taking it a step too far? Am I just coming up with crazy ideas? Mm. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting point. Maybe we should have a look at that. Uh, I, I, I'm not a specialist on the AI models, on the modeling aspect of that. So I'm not sure if you ask the question is like, could I track the input as it goes in the world of the AI model and what comes out? This I don't know, but what you can for sure track is what was inputted into the AI black box, uh, which AI black box it was, and what was the output uh, out of that. This is what you can track. But again, I'm not an expert on the AI models of what is achievable within that black boxes. The way uh, I would see that it is important what the black box has done at the end of the day. So if you talk about like using these models to kind of scan or you're feeding these models with a lot of data, right? I wonder if like the throughput of blockchain or whatever technology that you use can handle that sort of throughput. Like this must be tens of thousands or even millions of data points per minute, 10 minutes, even hour. Like how do you kind of build that infrastructure to be as robust to handle a use case like that? What is important, and this is uh, the way, again, uh, we stack the blockchain technology. Blockchain technology is really terrible for all things like handling large amounts of data and any like things like doing something in real time. Anytime you see, uh, I am using blockchain for this near real time uh, something, usually uh, not a good case, but it's a very good thing to keep a trace so that you can look on something later and it keeps it forever. So to your question, for example, our solution used for earth observation actually gets in touch with petabytes of data. It's a huge amount of data that are streamed from satellites to the ground station. But through the method that we use, we do not store the actual data on blockchain, but only these cryptographic fingerprints. They have a constant and very, they have very interesting property that whatever is the size of the input into that cryptographic function, it outputs a constant length string, 256 bits, 512, depending on your level of security you pick. So this is a very interesting, whether you put in a 4K movie or a PDF file with your CV, same size of output. And this is a very small string, so they're very good to be uh, put on uh, on blockchain, even in high frequency. Frequency, is a insert, it can be a challenge, right? Because you have to truncate the data somehow, right? Because uh, the blockchain operated, you have kind of like a train, like there is a block which arrives to the train station, it fills in, and then it leaves uh, full or not, it leaves after a certain point of time and the next uh, wagon comes. So you have to work a little bit on the architecture with this so that you can fill in the, the wagons of the train in the most efficient way, but it is fully possible. But the filling of those blockchain wagons on the train station takes certain time. This is why it is not very uh, convenient for too big data because the wagons are not of infinite size and because they stay at the train station for a certain point of time. So it's not good, uh, for example, for, I don't know, securing real-time radio communication, right? Which is based on the fact that it's real-time. So if I understand this correct, even if like you have a 4K movie, right? Maybe they take out two frames, maybe take out a few scenes. The whole cryptographic hash changes. Yes. If you changed any bit in there, your hash will be even very different. This is property of the typical cryptographic functions, even though you may have multiple cryptographic functions, but those standard ones, is that a small change in the input causes very large variation of the output of the cryptographic function. Do you foresee using the same cryptographic function in the future, or maybe you might want to modify it to take into account different use cases, like whatever purpose that might need, like whatever customer might need, maybe more granularity in the data or more traceability? Uh, exactly. So you have multiple options is why our solution is modular based. So for example, we don't use our own cryptographic functions. For example, we standard use the standard SHA uh, cryptographic functions, for example. 
However, you must uh, maintain the flexibility to use even private ones or purpose-built uh, cryptographic functions. Uh, many companies in cybersecurity, they develop their own cryptographic algorithms so that they can encrypt the, create the hashes using their own uh, function. Of course, it has a disadvantage then in terms of interoperability. To be able to uh, use such a technology, you have to apply the same uh, functions everywhere. But typically in a defense setup, uh, this might not be a problem. But for public applications, it doesn't make too much sense because then you would have to distribute such a function to every user. Then you use the standard ones. What's your vision for this company going forward? Like, what is the product vision? And like, what's your crazy dream for like what you want this company to eventually be down the line? Our, uh, hopefully not, not, not that crazy, but a dream is for sure to become a reference in practical usage of the blockchain technology for these purposes that I've mentioned, authenticity, integrity, and traceability of data. I would like that when I think of data authenticity, I think of 3IPK somehow. That would be a great success. And obviously, what is your view for? Absolutely. Being the leader in the aerospace blockchain as a service space. And of course, beyond Europe and Asia, and specific countries in Asia, other goal for 3IPK, of course, is to enter the US market. So we are actively looking at opportunities there because, of course, the market is bigger. So that is what we are trying to achieve. And then one last question. What advice do you guys have for other entrepreneurs, maybe in Europe or Taiwan? Like, what advice do you have about um, what things that they should do right or what things to avoid? From my perspective, when founding a company, especially in this space of the aerospace or space or industries, which might be difficult to uh, penetrate, which have a particular setup and require particular knowledge, then I would encourage people or companies trying to operate in this uh, sense to create uh, partnerships very fast, very early, because uh, this is how the industry overall operates. Uh, there is only rare uh, examples when a single company would become a single uh, provider of everything to everyone. It is always through relationship building, through partnerships with uh, experienced and most importantly, more experienced uh, partners so that you don't uh, do the same mistake twice or that you don't burn all of your cash actually uh, going nowhere because it's difficult to get in there. I mean, yeah, I would follow a similar sentiment. Collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. I mean, companies, both small and large, need to work together to try and achieve success because I find that a lot of, let's say, startups are quite guarded with their technology, with their kind of business USP. And I think, you know, there is a lot of opportunities from both Taiwan and for us as, as a European company for kind of bridging this big gulf that we have between us in terms of distance and come together and, and come up with some really innovative ideas. So collaboration is, is one thing. As an early stage startup, of course, you know, the, the standard stuff, if you can bootstrap, if you can come up with some MVPs, pilots, get as much as you can done in-house first, find a reference, and then you can succeed. Uri, Ashley, thank you for coming. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the time. Thank you very much for having us and for the interesting discussion. Thank you.